Thank you for joining us for the Local Church Podcast. At Local Church, we value each person's unique experience with faith and hope this message impacts you today. Well, hello everyone. Uh, Happy Canada Day. Um, Wherever you are, I hope you're having a great time. Um, Tyler, Chris, thank you so much for the intro. Um, If you have a Bible, we're going to get straight into this. Um, I'm doing the uh, Books of the Prophet, um, which, you know, I think everyone who's kind of like received their chunk of the Bible um, has all felt like their ones have been the hardest ones to get. Um, And so there's, there's, it was either there was like two hours worth of content to get through or really tight kind of like 30 minutes to get through. So obviously my goal is to get through this in a tight 30. And I haven't done a good job because I just decided to um, ramble a whole bunch. So, and then I decided to tell you that I was rambling rather than just getting straight into it. Um, so anyway, if you have a Bible, um, go with me to Matthew 21, verse 33 to uh, 46. And this is what it says. It says, now listen to another story. This is Jesus speaking. A certain landowner planted a vineyard, built a wall around it, dug a pit for pressing up the grape juice, and built a lookout tower. Then he leased the vineyard to tenant farmers and moved to another country. At the time of the grape harvest, he sent his servant to collect his share of the crop. But the farmers grabbed his servants, beat one, killed another, and stoned another one. So the landowner sent a larger group of his servants to collect for him, but the results were the same. Finally, the owner sent his son, thinking, surely they will respect my son. But when the tenant farmers saw his son coming, they said to one another, here comes the heir to to this estate. Come on, let's kill him and take this estate for ourselves. So they grabbed him, dragged him out of the vineyard, and murdered him. When the owner of the vineyard returns, Jesus asked, what do you think he will do to those farmers? The religious leaders replied, he will put the wicked men to a horrible death and lease the vineyard to others who will give him his share of the crop after each harvest. Then Jesus asked them, didn't you ever read this in the scriptures? The stone that the builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing, and it is wonderful to see. I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a nation that will produce the proper fruit. Anyone who stumbles over the stone will be broken to pieces and it will crush anyone it falls on. When the leading priests and Pharisees heard this parable, they realized he was telling the story against them. They were the wicked farmers. They wanted to arrest him, but they were afraid of the crowds who considered Jesus to be a prophet. Uh, Lord, we just pray that you would uh, speak to us today. Um, Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you. Um, for these books. We thank you for um, the scriptures and we just thank you um, uh, for what we can learn from these. Um, Lord, we just pray today that um, uh, you'd speak to your people, give us a foundation to to work with. Um, We just pray that you'll bless everybody. And everyone said, Amen. Um, I read, uh, I read, I heard, I heard this uh, this, this great analogy the other day. Um, I think, I'm pretty sure it was Levi that told me about it. Uh, When they described uh, uh, the analogy that he, he read, uh, this is how much I'm just trying to put myself like in, in his shoes. One time he met Anderson Pack and shook his hand, but in my mind, I met Anderson Pack and shook his hand. Um, and so uh, uh, there's this analogy of Christianity, and um, the idea is that um, Christianity is, is a city. Um, and so um, what happened is that throughout history, um, we were busy building these walls to Christianity, where it was like, um, in order to be in this city, you have to um, uh, be within these boundaries and be within these restrictions, and there was no way out and no way in, and it was... Um, uh, really tough for people to, to look at it as kind of like a, a way to, to, to get into Christianity, to get into the city. Um, then what happened is that the walls kind of got um, crumbled and destroyed in, in an effort to invite people into the city, which is, which is a really um, good desire to want people to come into the city. What happened is that because there was no, uh, no walls, there was nothing to separate um, uh, what it meant to be a Christian and what it meant to, to, to not. It was really easy to kind of come and go into the city um, as was convenient. 
And so um, this analogy goes, um, what we need to do is we need to build the walls again. Um, but rather than only build walls, we need to make sure that scattered throughout the city, there are bridges. And this kind of identifies or um, uh, the metaphor kind of relates in the way that uh, we do need to have some kind of like um, parameters or things to follow that make us Christian, that make us different. Um, however, these um, uh, bridges into the city represent grace. And that's kind of like where we're kind of heading and um, wanting to kind of uh, uh, have this nice middle ground where there are walls because I think that people do want um, um, you know, reasons and separation as, as in terms of like what makes a Christian different or what makes um, a life that is for Jesus different. But also we need to make sure that we maintain grace, otherwise we become, um, uh, you know, like it has been where, you know, either you're in, you're out and you're kind of like excommunicated. We see um, uh, this analogy, which, which I really enjoyed, or this metaphor, is relatively similar to Jesus's parable in terms of um, this vineyard, which has walls around it, a lookout tower and um, uh, the, the, the wine press and, and a way to kind of plant these grapes. Today we're talking about the prophets. Um, these are the books that, in my experience, and, and Levi actually mentioned this at least in person the other day, um, these are kind of like the books that are the next hurdle once you've finished Deuteronomy. So you kind of, you know, pat yourself on the back when you've gotten through the books uh, of the law. Um, then it gets into what Caleb talked about last week, kind of the history, which is pretty exciting. It was the, 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 those are the books that I kind of like first uh, actually like fell in love with reading the Bible. Then you get to the books of the prophets, which are, um, uh, I don't know, like really confusing. Um, that kind of like uh, uh, just really I think a tough read because even you know Psalms and Proverbs there's always these things and you know every like Bible reading plan it's always like read one Psalm a day and so throughout um, uh, the entirety of the year you kind of eventually get through all of the Psalms but these prophets it's kind of uh, um, just tough you know there's a lot of like poetry and symbolism and um, call for destruction and it feels like it's like Old Testament and so we're kind of like I don't know how much of this is really meant to apply um, but for us, I think that the, the, the books of the prophets are key in helping us understand God's character um, and, and, and in doing so and understanding his character um, and helping us understand what it is that we can do today in order um, uh, to apply those things. My goal today is to summarize the message of these books. Um, it'll take far too long, as I said at the beginning, it'll take far too long to go through um, all of the books of the prophets. That'll be, a, that'll be a two and a half, three hour long sermon. Um, and I'm not qualified to preach that one. So I think um, uh, what we're going to do is we're going to have a look at that parable that we read um, uh, earlier and then kind of try to compare that in terms of um, with, with just the book of Isaiah. Um, and so today I'm very grateful for um, the Bible Project, Charles Spurgeon, the Blue Letter Bible, and Tyler Fitch's Bible School Notes to help get me through this. Uh, we know that the nation of Israel was formed on a promise between God and Abraham. The nation enjoyed a special relationship with God and that came with very weighty responsibilities. We see this take place in the parable that Jesus uh, used when he says a certain landowner uh, planted a vineyard, built a wall around it, dug a pit for pressing out the grape juice and built a lookout tower. In other words, God gave the people of Israel everything they needed in order to succeed. In this parable, we see that the landowner um, didn't just give the tenants a, a, a vineyard or a plot of land, a, you know, a good old thumbs up and, 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 and away you go. That was, that was difficult to say. Um, instead, he gave them additional things um, in order to give the least tenants the best possible chance of success. The Israelites, we see that they were given um, instructions on how to live, priests to help guide them, a land to conquer and then prosper in. Um, they were even you know, given uh, uh, pillars of cloud and fire. And um, we see that Jesus continues on to say, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, then he leased the vineyard to tenant farmers and moved to another country. At the time of the grape harvest, he sent his servants to collect his share of the crop. 
but the farmers grabbed his servants, beat one, killed one, and stoned another. So the landowner sent a larger group of his servants to collect for him, but the results were the same. This is a direct quote from Tyler's uh, Bible, Bible school notes. It says, right from the beginning, the Israelites proved to be rather poor at keeping their side of the covenant and incapable of hearing what God had to say. In other words, they were incapable of upholding their end of the bargain, of giving God his share of what he asked for and the covenant he created with Abraham and then the nation of Israel. God therefore sent a series of prophets to remind them of what he had done for them and of their proper response, to warn them of the consequences of disobeying God, the Almighty and one true God, and to exhort them to return to him with varying results. Jesus goes on where it says, Finally the owner sent his son, thinking, Surely they will respect my son. With the same result, he is taken and killed in the hope that the tenants will inherit the vineyard, but the story doesn't end there. I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a nation that will produce the proper fruit. And that is the final message of the prophets. We see these themes relatively consistent throughout all of the books of the prophets. There is an accusation against the people of Israel, a call for their repentance, and then the promise of a coming king, of hope, of the cornerstone of a new Jerusalem. It is in these three points that we'll take a look at what the prophets are, are saying. I'm not nearly confident enough in my own ability um, to get through everything uh, in the remaining time that we have, but my hope is that um, by uh, this sermon's conclusion, um, you and, and, and myself, that we will have a, a foundation or a baseline that helps us get through uh, the books of the prophets the next time we get up to these um, books in our, in our yearly Bible reading. I'm hoping that there will be um, themes that you can look out for and um, uh, just kind of like, you know, just uh, uh, simple messages um, that'll just help aid you and in, 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 in I hope that you build on top of what it is that I have to say today. I hope that this isn't um, uh, all that you take from the books of the prophets. Like I said before, rather than go through all the books of the prophets, we'll use the book of Isaiah as our primary reference point, looking out for these three themes in relation to Jesus' parable we read at the beginning. So the first point um, is the accusation. Um, and I think um, in order to best understand the accusation, we have to understand who the accuser is, the judge, who it's coming from. The books of the prophets um, seek to establish God as the ruler of all of history. We know that he is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. The character of God that we are about to read hasn't changed, and these books allow us to grow in our understanding of who he is. Isaiah 6 verses 1 to 7 says, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the, uh, the seraphim, each had six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me! For I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away. The opening um, uh, verse in this chapter is, um, In the year that King Uzziah died. Uh, and I think this, uh, to say um, uh, the death of King Uzziah is a big deal. Um, this is a king that had a long reign of 52 years. He was a good king um, that did, and 2 Kings tells us, what was right in the eyes of the Lord. 2 Chronicles tells us he sought God and God made him prosper. 
It also tells us that he was a very strong king and that his fame actually even stretched to the borders of Egypt. He had military victories, uh, but this, king, uh, sorry, this strength made King Uzziah grow proud and unfaithful as he entered the temple of the Lord to burn incense, an act that was reserved for the priests exclusively. And this led to his eventual death. To say that King Uzziah died is to infer that a wise king who was loved, had fame, sought the Lord, had died suddenly from his pride, and it would be reasonable for Isaiah to be discouraged should his hope be in that of a man. You can picture him asking, Lord, where were you or where are you during all of this that's going on? There is a throne in heaven um, and our God sits upon it as sovereign ruler of the universe. So where was God during all of this? The Lord was enthroned, was, was, was sitting on his throne in heaven and was still in charge of all creation. When we read the books of the prophets, we need to remember that the throne is central to heaven and it is occupied. It is not an empty chair. This is both encouraging to us. Uh, we, get to, we get to praise him as the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the God of Gods, and also provides an understanding for why we must have a fear um, uh, in terms of having that awe of who God is. He holds many titles, but the titles of Judge, Sovereign King, the one with proper authority, needs to be at the forefront of our minds when we read the books of the prophets. Isaiah was not alone in seeing uh, the throne as, as central and a foundational part of heaven. Uh, Micaiah, Job, David, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, and the Apostle John all see God's throne as well. It was reasonable to believe that Isaiah may be feeling discouraged because a leader of Judah no longer occupied his throne. But our God in heaven shows Isaiah that Uzziah may not be on his throne anymore, but here I am. With this in mind, we can see the accusations from a new angle. This isn't a man... Um, that is upset that, uh, uh, sorry, this, this isn't a man that is upset. This is um, God that sits sovereign over all things, calling for a nation to be better. Here's a quote that I read about this little section. It says, the bottom line of atheism is that there is no throne. There is no authority or power all the universe must answer to. Humanism believes that there is a throne, but it's man that sits upon it. However, the Bible makes it clear to us that there is a throne in heaven and no fallen man sits on the throne, but the Lord God is enthroned in heaven. We see that, excuse me, um, this is not the equivalent um, of the flatmate, the roommate, um, the child, the spouse, the partner, whoever it is. This is not the equivalent of, um, you know, the, the one in the household that doesn't do the dishes and then all of a sudden asks you to do your dishes. This is not the equivalent of that. Because even though, like, you know, the accusation might be correct, you're like, look, you need, like, the, the, the accuser needs to change. This is our God. This is the King of Kings. This is um, the one who reigns sovereign and supreme over all creation, over all of history. God is saying right now in this accusation, um, uh, when we think about the, the, the metaphor of, of the city uh, and, and then kind of the walls around it, you are living outside of the walls and outside of the parameters of what it means to follow me. Here's an, here's an example um, of the accusation, and this is just in Isaiah 1, which is kind of, Isaiah 1 is kind of like a really um, a good summary of, of really the whole, the whole book. Um, it says, Hear me, you heavens, listen, earth, for the Lord has spoken. I reared children and brought them up, but they have rebelled against me. One text commentary describes this by saying, We can think of heaven and earth as a jury, and God is presenting his case before creation itself. It goes on to say, The ox knows its master, the donkey its owner's manger, but Israel does not know. My people do not understand. People have turned away from God and are worse than animals because they don't even know who their master is anymore. Woe to the sinful nation, a people whose guilt is great, a brood of evildoers, children given to corruption. They have forsaken the Lord, they have spurned the Holy One of Israel and turned their backs on Him. 
spurn the Holy One of Israel. Again, this is the sovereign king over all creation. To spurn him, reject him, that isn't comparable to turning away from a man. Goes on to say, why should you be beaten anymore? Why do you persist in rebellion? Your whole head is injured, your whole heart afflicted. The first chapter is a great summary of what is to come. In chapters 28 to 35 of Isaiah, we see accusations made to the leaders of Judah, the city of David or Jerusalem, the entire nation, those that rely on the strength of Egypt, of man, instead of uh, on, on God's provision. There's even a chapter that um, uh, looks at an accusation of the woman of Jerusalem. Revelations 3 verse 19 tells us that God disciplines those that he loves. Despite the fact that the nation was in shambles, they still would not repent. Because of this rebellion, they're in a bad place, and a lack of submission has brought them here. And God's goal is to make that clear to them. To summarize the accusation, God is saying, uh, You are not giving me my share of the crops that I have given to you. You are living outside of the parameters of what it means to follow me. And we can picture the people of Israel living outside of the metaphorical city walls, and God is currently trying to extend a bridge of grace, pleading with them to enter back in. If we keep in mind that he is the same in these books uh, of the Bible as he is today, then the primary learning here is that our God has the same pleading with you and I, with us, the same desire for relationship and to live in objective truth. So that's, that's the accusation. The second point um, is the call to repentance. Uh, if we continue onward with the first chapter of Isaiah, the Lord is calling his people to live more than just um, religious lives. God actually goes on to say that he rejects sacrifices that are made to him, burnt offerings, people who are appearing before him, and the prayers of the people. It's kind of like this weird um, situation where um, uh, God is, is calling out their sin, but they're still trying to live um, as if they're making these sacrifices. They're still trying to live as if um, everything is okay and, and, and there's nothing kind of in the heart. So we see, why is he rejecting these things? There's another quote that says, um, uh, because God is not impressed that people can speak to him. What matters is that your heart is submitted to him. God doesn't want rogue, renegade prophets. He desires prophetic communities, an entire community living in the prophetic atmosphere. The community itself is meant to be voiced to the world. We read, we read um, Isaiah 6 earlier, and to recount part of that, um, we see above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two I was, he flew. <laughs> so you're always doing actions, and you're like, oh. How do you do? You can't make flying look like serious. Uh, and with two, we flew. Uh, and one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. My boy Charles Spurgeon um, uh, has a quote in, in, in a sermon on this, on this um, uh, passage of scripture where he says, Thus they have four wings for adoration and two for active energy, four to conceal themselves and two with which to, to occupy themselves in service. We may learn from them that we shall serve God best when we are most deeply revered and humbled in his presence. Veneration must be in larger proportion than vigor. That's so, that's so mean. Adoration must exceed activity. As Mary at Jesus' feet was preferred to Martha and her much serving, so must sacred reverence take the first place and energetic service follow in due course. Isaiah 30 verse 15 says, This is what the Sovereign Lord, the Holy One of Israel says, In repentance and rest is your salvation. In quietness and trust is your strength. But you would have none of it. We see um, uh, uh, almost like the, the, the people here um, still trying to have energetic service towards the Lord. 
the, the Isaiah 1 literally says that they're still bringing burnt offerings, they're still bringing incense, they're still bringing um, you know, rams, they're still bringing animals. Um, they say that they're still um, praying with their arms stretched wide and, and, and high and God is having none of it because he is much more interested in our heart than he is in our, in this case, quote-unquote service. The people at the time behaved as if their salvation came from that, uh, from their offering, sacrifice, prayers. Uh, and, and I guess for us, sometimes the equivalent here is that um, uh, sometimes we believe that our salvation comes from um, uh, just being in church. Um, we have the fulfilled promise um, from the book of law in Deuteronomy 28. Um, many times we say, you know, our, our God um, keeps his promises or our God remembers his promises. And we, we say these um, in encouraging ways. And so we should. So we should. He is good. Um, you know, and, and so uh, if he's made a promise, then I do believe that he keeps the promise. But in Deuteronomy 28, um, we actually have like a list um, of what will happen to Israel. One, if they uphold their, their end of the, of, of, uh, of the covenant, which is like, it's like this, this amount, you know, of like text of like blessings. Uh, it, it's it's kind of like this is, this is the, the blessing for upholding the covenant with the Lord. Um, and then we also see, however, um, that there's like, so this, this is the blessing. There's like this much in Deuteronomy 28 of like the curses and like what, hap what will happen to Israel um, should they rebel against the Lord, should they go against the covenant. And I don't think that it's because, um, you know, God is more keen on, you know, on like curses and more keen on like um, uh, correction and all of those things. Oh, I guess he is keen on correction. Um, more keen on, uh, you know, like just bringing down like fire and rain and all those things. But I think it's because we don't like, you know, in the same way that we go, you know, God keeps his promises. We don't need reminders of like, of like the good stuff. But I feel like God does these really like long sections of what will happen if, if Israel doesn't follow him. Because it's really important. Because we don't want to hear that. You know what I mean? We're like, mm, nah, I'm good. I don't want to hear that part. I just want to hear this little section. But man, it's me. You know when you do like um, personality tests. And then there's like the strengths and weaknesses. I haven't even read my weaknesses part. I've only read the strengths. I just read the strengths twice. So then I just thought that I had two strengths and no weaknesses. And so that, so Deuteronomy 28 is for people like me, where it's like, I only read this part, but then you, you know, you flick the pages a few times, you're like, oh, this just keeps on going, so then I should probably, I should probably read this. Um, we see that uh, God allows the taking over of, of Israel in, in, in Isaiah um, in order to let them see what it is like when they, are, when they decide that they're sitting on the throne and in charge of their own lives. Submission to the Lord and offering Him full sovereignty over our lives is the best choice. But that's the Old Testament, right? Um, so it doesn't like doesn't apply to us. I wish. Romans tells us um, that we are living sacrifices. Levi's pointed this out um, uh, uh, in, in one of his sermons. The complete paradoxical nature of the statement in itself: a living sacrifice doesn't make sense. To sacrifice something is to be dead. We see another paradox. We have a we have a free gift of salvation, but it comes with a cost. So that that doesn't make sense as well. Because if it's free, then why is there a cost? Um, a lot of times we fall um, uh, into the trap, I, I, I think, where we think that the cost is doing more stuff, more things. As Charles Spurgeon said, veneration must be in larger proportion than vigor. Adoration must exceed activity. We cannot outserve our sin. And we all have sin. And we all wish that we didn't have sin. But we all have sin. And we all wish that we could outserve it. But we can't. The only thing that we can do is outrepent our sin. This doesn't make sense. But, you know, we can have repentance in order to get cleansing for our sin. 
And I think that this is what um, uh, uh, the nation of, of Israel at this time is failing to see because they think that they can just continue in service. Chris brought up this great point at our, um, uh, our like, staff devotional uh, yesterday where he said that um, uh, a, a, a common theme is that people are willing to give up one major sin and attend church you know, regularly, but they're not willing to do more. They're not willing to um, pay the cost of what it means to be a Christian beyond those kind of two things. And so what happens is that um, as soon as um, you know, things become inconvenient, then people are willing just to kind of step away. And I think that we see that um, in order to have adoration, we have to have repentance. We have to be seeking more. Um, for us to be living sacrifices um, isn't about you know, doing more things, but it's about committing more of ourselves to God every single day. We see the power of repentance on a daily basis. Every single time, every single time you drive and someone cuts in front of you, if they give you a little sorry, the, 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 the speed in which the anger leaves if someone says sorry is about the speed in which it arrives, instant. Yeah, ah, now it's funny, you know, ah, oh, no worries, like, you know, enjoy your day. You, you know, you give them the benefit of the doubt, like, oh, they're probably late to work or um, there's probably an emergency they have to get to. But if someone doesn't say sorry, when, when they pull in front of me, oh man, the anger stays with me for seven days, longer. I'm still mad about something the other day. I, I pulled over to help Chris, um, uh, uh, his, his car battery died, and I pulled over on Algon Street, which is like quite a narrow street, and so I had to, but I had to pull up right next to him and block one of the lanes, and someone beeped at me. I was so mad, that happened in winter. And I've got you know, somewhat of a tan now, which means that we're, we're Canada Day, we're well and truly in summer now. And I'm still mad at this person for beeping at me because they had showed no repentance. That wasn't even in my notes. This is just a therapy session now. Um, uh, for us, it's, uh, 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 where am I? There we go, found it. Okay, so Israel ultimately refuses to repent. Um, uh, and God says that through Assyria and Babylon, the nation of Israel would come crashing down in an act of judgment. Isaiah wants us to, uh, uh, in the book of Isaiah, um, we're told that it's important to remember that judgment isn't the same as rejection but rather it is for the sake of Israel that they would desire to live within the covenant God had established with the nation and also to be a voice for other nations at, how, at, at, at who God is, at his character. Isaiah uh, uh, in uh, chapter 6, um, after the, the, the seraphim are flying, uh, Isaiah says, And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, excuse me, and your sin atoned for. When Isaiah sees the throne room of God, he immediately repents. When we get close to God, we are reminded that he is holy and set apart, up, apart and we are not. Then there is a coal taken from the altar. We must remember, um, uh, if the first point is that, um, you know, we, we must remember who is sitting on the throne room and that it is God. The second point here in terms of repentance and in terms of Isaiah 6 is that there is also an altar. The altar is for us where we are cleaned and that there is a purging of sin. It is important that we do not confuse the role and our position of the throne and the altar. The throne is for God, the altar is for us. The Israelites here are living in, in a way that um, the throne is for them. And the altar is almost for God. There are, there are sections, uh, chapters, where they're actually um, accusing God back. They're trying to like, you know, get him back. But we must not reverse those two roles. Isaiah met with the Lord, was convicted of his sin, and then cleansed of his guilt 
before he was ready to serve. I just want to conclude this point uh, with another parable. This is Matthew 21, verse 28 to 32. This is Jesus speaking. And he says, uh, what do you think? There was a man who had two sons. He went to the first and said, son, go and work today in the vineyard. I will not, he answered. But later he changed his mind and went. Then the father went to the other son and said the same thing. He answered, I will, sir, but he did not go. Which of the two sons did what his father wanted? The first, they answered. I think here our actions and heart are more important than our words. My final point here um, is the promise. As I mentioned earlier, um, Israel refuses to repent and God, through Assyria and Babylon, um, actually comes through and, 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 and says that the nation of Israel uh, will come crashing down in an act of judgment. Once again, this judgment is not the same as rejection. Um, uh, but we see that um, uh, our God um, wants it so that the nation of Israel um, would declare and would perceive God as the king of history rather than the idols of other nations. There are uh, passages in Isaiah where they start to kind of look at um, idols from other nations and start saying maybe these are better than our God. Not to get those confused. However, Israel rejects this claim uh, uh, and, and rejects who God is and rejects um, what God's desire is here. And so God lets them know that he will do a new thing. Again, this is a quote um, from Tyler's uh, Bible school notes. It says, most significantly, the prophets point forward to the time when God will intervene decisively in the life of the nation by sending his own special representative. The Old Testament re refers to this person as king, son of David, servant of the Lord, righteous branch, the son of man. Excuse me, an ordinary title in itself, simply meaning human being but very significant in the way it is used here and in the Gospels. The New Testament calls this person the Messiah, the Christ, the Anointed One. And Christians from the time of Jesus until now have been enriched by their study of the pictures that the prophets present to us. The book of Isaiah introduces us to a figure called the Servant, capital S as a title, that is going to do what Israel has failed to do. The Servant is going to restore God's people to Him and be a light to all nations. There's so much more to break down um, on this. Um, there are you know, uh, nuances, there is beautiful poetry, um, there's wonderful symmetry all throughout um, the book of Isaiah, and, and, and obviously it's been quoted in the New Testament. Um, there are wonderful and powerful metaphors. Um, but again, my goal is uh, um, not to go through absolutely everything that the books of the prophets have to offer, but give us just a foundation to work on. So I apologize to any Bible nerds that were hoping for me to go into the seed, the tree, um, and the branch. Um, I recommend um, everyone watching this or listening to this, um, go head over to the Bible Project. They've got a great breakdown um, of the entire book of Isaiah, which actually goes through all of these wonderful, beautiful themes um, that, we, that we can see. So with that little disclaimer over, um, I just want to say in my very humble opinion, um, the books of the prophets uh, are an example of how our God is perfect justice and perfect, perfect grace. Um, he is objective truth while, ma while maintaining a promise of hope. He is the lion and the lamb. We already talked about it before, about the, the, the kind of paradoxical nature um, of our faith. And we see um, this, 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 this wonderful ability where God is the only one um, that has really nailed what it is to be perfect justice um, and be perfect grace as well. This comes to a crescendo with the arrival of Jesus. In the parable we read at the beginning of today, we saw Jesus mention the stone. It says, then Jesus asked them, didn't you ever read this in the scriptures? The stone that the builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. And it is wonderful to see. I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a nation that will produce the proper fruit. Anyone who stumbles over that stone will be broken to pieces and it will crush anyone it falls on. 
We see that the stone is both wonderful to see and anyone who stumbles over the stone will be broken to pieces and it will crush anyone it falls on. The promise in the books of the prophet is that God's servant will come. He will be rejected and killed like in the parable uh, uh, Jesus mentioned said. And through his resurrection will provide a way to make people righteous and right with God. And there are two ways that we can take the offer of that stone. The first is that those uh, uh, may reject the servant um, and may reject his servants. They will not be welcomed in New Jerusalem. For these people, Jesus says, they will stumble over the stone and be broken in pieces. They will be crushed by the stone. Or the second way that we can uh, approach the stone is with humility, where we will be called servants of the servant and will receive a holy blessing. The stone will be described uh, and, and, and is described as being wonderful to see. And so for today, uh, we have that opportunity to accept Jesus, accept the servant into our lives as our Lord. Uh, in Romans, it says that if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with your heart, you believe and are justified. And with your mouth, you confess and are saved. It is just as the scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. And the scripture at the end there, um, which I think is a wonderful, wonderful bow kind of tied to all of this. Um, the scripture reference here is actually from Isaiah 28. And so today, um, uh, if you're watching this, if it's Canada Day weekend, um, if you're watching with your family or um, maybe it's later on down the line, you're listening to other you know, uh, podcasts or watching this online. Um, what's really cool is that um, uh, we have this offer. We have uh, uh, um, uh, you know, a bridge extended to us um, for an invitation into, this, into the metaphorical city of what it is um, to be a Christian. So if you're listening today um, and you wanted to respond, I'm going to pray um, and then you can say a line um, after me. And then you can start the journey of what it means to be a Christian. Go to this. Uh, Dear God, I thank you that you love me. I thank you that you want a relationship with me. And I thank you that you sent your son to die on a cross for me. Today I receive you into my life and I accept you as my Lord and as my Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen. Well, once again, happy Canada Day weekend. Um, that was a lot. That was a lot today. Um, uh, so again, we, we didn't cover everything. There are, there are other books of the prophets. Uh, I'm saying this, you know, like, because uh, Tyler, Tyler like, handed out um, what we're all doing. So I'm like, Tyler, did I do good? You know? Um, uh, but there, there are um, obviously other books of, of, of prophets. Um, there are other things that to, to, to dive into. Um, so again, I, I, today I mentioned the Blue Letter Bible, and there are awesome text commentaries in there that you can um, go into to kind of get into more detail. The Bible Project has um, a few video series. Um, Tyler mentioned this, but there's like Theos U, and there are so many, you know, there's your Bible. No, you know, you can do this yourself. No, there are so many other resources that you can use um, to dive deeper. But again, my, my goal and my hope today is that um, to give you just one, one foundational block to work on um, with these books. So church. Love you. We'll see you next week. And I'm going to hand back to Tyler and Chris. We are so glad you joined us for the Local Church Podcast. To get connected, please follow us on social media and check out our website for groups and other ways to get involved.